can we find ways to eliminate poverty in our city? Let's find out next on the Monday Christian Podcast. Listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Monday Christian Podcast. Yeah, so glad that you've decided to check this out once again. And hey, just in case you're unaware, we recently launched a brand new website called themondaychristian.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and check that out. Um, You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, uh, themondaychristian.com. If you have an Apple device or Android device, you can just type this in in the App Store on um, iTunes or Google Play. It works either way. Today on the podcast, though, uh, I've got my friend Bill Ryan. And several months ago, I recorded an interview with him, and uh, he's the Director of Reconciliation at Young Street Mission in Toronto, Ontario. And just in case you're unaware, uh, Young Street Mission is one of Toronto's oldest missions outreach centers in the area. It was started in 1896, and its purpose is to help the 500,000-plus people in Toronto who fall below the poverty line. And as their mission statement suggests, the Young Street Mission exists so that all the poor and vulnerable in Toronto that they encounter will experience God's love, peace, and justice at a level that represents the highest stewardship of the resources invested. Bill shares from a lifetime of experience of Christian ministry, and honestly, I just can't think of a better person to talk on this issue of eliminating poverty in local communities. I think it's going to be fascinating, so let's go ahead and jump into the interview. Today on the podcast, I'm privileged to have my friend Bill Ryan on. And Bill, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. This is exciting. Yeah, and and it's really we've gotten to know each other now for um, it's it just been I guess over a year. And yeah. let's see here, we met up. There's a great couple in our church, Ezra and Gala, and uh, I guess you officiated their wedding back what was it, about uh, just just over a year ago now. Yeah, year and two weeks, three weeks. Yep. Just for if if people in the audience don't know, uh, share a little bit about where you came from. Because after we got talking, it was just amazing that um, we had kind of similar upbringings. And so, just share with our audience a little bit about how you came to faith in Christ and what does your Christian journey looked like. Sure. Um, so. I grew up in a Christian home here in Toronto. Toronto has always been my home. My parents um, met here in the city. And uh, and so my dad was involved with an inner city church uh, almost from the time he became a Christian, uh, the point where he be, actually had become the pastor of it. It was a, a very poor uh, inner city church. Um, so he was actually a bivocational minister, uh, had his own small printing business as well as uh, pastoring the church. And so that side of understanding um, the call to, to caring for, for the poor has always been a part of my life. Uh, my mother was from the Salvation Army, so again, probably the, the largest Christian social agency uh, outside the Catholic Church uh, in the world, and so that influences well. 
I, I think what a great heritage to have between those two. Um, but when I was eight years old, we had a Good Friday uh, service, and they were showing uh, a Good Friday film. And um, and when I saw Jesus die on the cross, I knew that he was dying for me. And so at that point in time, I uh, decided that it was time to commit my life to Jesus. Then I became a teenager, and uh, that recommitment had to happen a few times just to to clarify what had gone on. But when I was uh, 18 years old, um, and I was going back and forth between friends at church and friends uh, in the neighborhood I grew up, all good people. Um, but Jesus, I was reading, I was reading through the Bible, and uh, came to the passage. Finally, got to Revelation, and there where Jesus says. Um, uh, to the church I believe in Laodicea, uh, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. And, uh, and I remember, like, this is like 12, 31 o'clock in the morning. And it's like, Jesus said, Bill, that's you. Um, you either want you totally for me or totally against me. What's it going to be? No more sitting on the fence. And so at that moment, I again, I just said, you know what? It's all for you. Uh, and then came, came the decision, uh, so what does that mean? And uh, I'd been trying to decide about my future and, you know, I'd just finished high school, I'd taken a year off because I didn't know what to do. I wasn't going to waste a year in university uh, spinning my wheels. And I came to a bit of a crisis about a year into that. And I remember going to see my, my older sister who was in Bible college at the time and saying, I, I just don't know what to do with my life. <laughs> and she said, well, everybody else knows. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. She said, well, we all know you're going into ministry. Wow. It, it had never even dawned on me Wow! And uh, at that point in time. And so I said, well, gee, maybe I better check this out. So I spent a bit of time in discernment, and uh, before that year was out, had enrolled um, in Bible College, in Ontario Bible College, which is now Tyndale here in the city. And I said to God, God, I'll give you the next four years of my life uh, in study, and I expect that during those four years you'll show me what you want me to do. And uh, so over the course of that time, uh, God showed me first that uh, he was calling me to, um, to missions and then specifically to city missions, to, to, the poor, uh, in, to the poor in the city and then to the poor in the city of Toronto. And so each year it was a progression and ended with me saying, God, you know, I want scripture to uh, just make sure this is what all my friends had scripture to back up their ministry call. And so he gave me Isaiah 58, uh, just as a seal, saying, here it is, you know, uh, is, this, is this not my chosen fast, uh, but to, to break the yoke of injustice and to the, the chains um, of oppression. And if you do these things, then you'll be like a well-watered garden, um, and that I'll hear your prayers from heaven, and that uh, if, if you do these things, you'll be known as the repairer of the uh, the, of the broken walls and the restorers of, of streets where people dwell, community building. Yeah. Um, and, and and so that's that's been my call for the last 35, 40 years of my life. So. That's fascinating. I'm just curious because calling, that's something that I heard talked about um, a fair amount when I was growing up. It's It seems to be a word, just depending on what circles that you grow up in, some circles don't emphasize it very, very highly. Um, and I'm just curious, what role did calling play in your life? Why, why was that important? Why was that significant for you, looking back on ministry? Well, there's a couple of things. One is that you have to be careful about calling, um, because it, it gets 
played around and and abused sometimes. Right. So I, I like to talk about two things. One is vocation. Vocation is who you are, who God made you to be, and that God placed this little homing beacon in you. That that's voca, uh, that that voice, um, that calls you back to who God made you to be right at the start. And and it's important to have an understanding of who who we are. Uh, so. so out of VOCA then comes this idea of calling. And calling is the expression, the action of who I am. And so I can't help but to do it no matter what I, uh, where I am, uh, what my situation. If I'm listening to my VOCA, then my calling comes out of who I am. Um, and so my personality type fits in well with the kind of ministry that I'm involved in, they just flow in together. It comes naturally. Um, calling can can take on different shapes and forms. Sometimes we call it career, and so sometimes it could be at one place and then another place. I've been at Young Street Mission now for 35 years, but within those 35 years, now I'm now in my sixth position, and so there has been a shifting back and forth and moving, but all connected to the listening that 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 voice, that still voice saying, Bill, this is who you are. Can you live that out in this moment, in this situation? But the calling also comes out of um, taking time in silence uh, and saying to God, you know what? I really want to know um, what it is you want me to do with my life and make it clear to me. And so it could be through other people, it could be through events, it could be uh, through um, situation and environment, culture, uh, but it, it's taking the time to, to, to listen to, the, to God's leading. Um, and you know, God is faithful. God just continues to, to show and put a stamp of approval on things. I just met with a young man yesterday, and uh, he's in my office weeping uh, because you know, for the first time in his life, he's a, this past year, he came on staff just a year ago. He's, I can't believe God is giving me the privilege of serving here. And, and he said, the youth that I work with, um, the, the transformation says, it's not me, I'm just here. Uh, and, and I get to see what God is doing in their lives and helping to, to, to give a little bit of guidance. He's helping them to hear their voice. Wow. Uh, and, and, and so it's powerful. And, and, and there's that fulfillment. We're never happy until we hear uh, that voice. It's really fascinating. Just going back, you know, you mentioned that your dad pastored in an inner city church and obviously kind of the topic of this podcast and, and our focus is on, on reach eliminating poverty. You have a, a, a young street mission has an incredible goal that we'll get into in just a couple minutes here. But what role do you think growing up? Um, because uh, the reason I asked this question is some some people that I've known over the past years, they've grown up in maybe a poor pastor's family or, or, a, or a situation where maybe the, the pastor's pastored in a difficult area. And then all of a sudden they want nothing to do with ministry and they want to go and get, you know, get a great career and get almost as far removed from ministry as possible. Why do you think that wasn't the case for you? I like to say it's my parents and the model that, that they set for me um, and never a, there was never a force of faith upon me. Uh, it was modeled to me. Um, my parents were there that, that good Friday in 1968. 
but they didn't they weren't the ones who went forward with me um i mean they were encouraging they were supportive but there was never pressure um there was always that experience of of let billy be billy um and, and so that's my personal background mm-hmm. uh, i can't comment about anybody else's and so there was there was always an attraction to it as opposed to a, a repulsion um now, I also have friends who have gone through similar things, except, you know, beautiful Christian parents. Um, I'm thinking one in particular whose, whose father was part of my discipleship process. Um, and, uh, and yet, my friend to this day has never decided to follow Jesus. Wow. Not, not angry. It just hasn't been his calling. So you don't know how the Spirit moves. I mean, that's what Jesus says. He says, you're not going to be able to figure out the, the spirit. Yeah. And his story isn't over yet. Um, I mean, for him, it's not a prodigal son. He hasn't rebelled. He just hasn't decided to follow Jesus. Right. So right. each one of us has a different story. Talk about how you came to Young Street Mission, how that began, and really where your passion for... Um, um, well, I want you to first just walk us through... Um, Young Street Missions, their goal that you shared with me uh, close to a year ago, and how you kind of came and, and became a part of Young Street Mission, and why that vision that they have has just really captivated your attention. Sure. Okay. Um, so I was about to graduate. I was in my last semester. Uh, one of my profs who teaching um, pastoral counseling uh, had just been appointed the new uh, general director of YSM. And so he's teaching his last course, and there were three or four of us in that course that were just about to graduate, and he decided he would take us on as a mentoring process, which is beautiful. Um, and, you know, our first meeting together, he's asking me, by this time I know I'm called to the inner city to work with the poor. I didn't know he'd been appointed to, uh, in his new new role. And, um, and he said, I know where you should be going. <laughs> And he actually said, Evergreen of Young Street Mission. Well, I had volunteered at the Christian Community Center branch of, of Young Street Mission. I knew about Evergreen. If I had my choice, I wanted to work at the community center with the youth there, not with um, the street population at Evergreen. And, um, you know, I kept putting that off. But I went with the, I, I tried with, to work with the Salvation Army. I mean, here it is, the largest Protestant social agency in Canada. And for four or five months, they did not have one position open that was suitable where where they both, both them and I thought was a good match. Uh, meantime, Glenn Taylor is still saying, you know, Bill, give us a call when you're ready. So I graduated. A week later, I finally gave them a call, had my interview with a, just a, a very gracious man, John Braun. And he said, Bill, you know, if, if you're looking for a place where we're going to give you a job description and here's what you do every hour of the day, uh, all spelled out, um, that's not us. He said, we're just in the process of rebuilding the work here. We almost closed it, decided to rebuild it. We're on the, the ground floor, putting in that foundation. He said, we're not quite sure what we're going to do. And so if you want to be part of something new and fresh and experimenting and trying different things, then maybe this is for you. And as soon as he said that, that clicked. I mean, that's part of, again, that's part of my personality. And, um, and, and so I almost immediately said, yeah, I'm coming. Um, the funny thing is, 
he said to me in the interview, how long do you think you would stay? Which I thought was a bizarre question. And I gave him a, an even more bizarre answer. I don't know where this came from. I said, until I get bored. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm still waiting for a full day of boredom. I've already told uh, my supervisors, you know, uh, when I get two full days of boredom, I'm gone. I've wow. had an hour here and there now, but uh, never a full day. So, um, so let me just pause you right there, and and because uh, I'm curious about this, because someone listening to this podcast, maybe they're feeling the check of God to maybe go into to full time Christ, Christian ministry. There's kind of the drawing that maybe they're sensing. Um, but one of the things that that you just mentioned, I, I think that was really interesting, was you mentioned that the ministry position you were going to wasn't just a checklist of here's what you're going to do. And it feels like to me that in ministry, a lot of times that's the case where it is very messy. You're, you're working with spiritual matters. Talk about the difference of going into ministry as opposed to maybe other occupations that we might go into. Well, first of all, I would say to people, if there's something you would rather do, go and do it. And, and if there's if there's still that little voice calling back to you saying, check this out, check this out, uh, then maybe you better start listening to that, that voice. Um, but the, there are many people who struggle with understanding, again, going back to that voice of, of who I am. Um, sorry, what was the, the full question? <laughs> what kind of, like... With a person going into, you know, thinking about maybe going into ministry, there oh, might yes. be that feeling that, okay, I'm going into ministry, and here's my—I'll get this job description, and I'll do this and this and this and this. But then you get into it. I know when I first got into ministry, I was looking for—you know, I'd been in landscaping, I'd been painting, all these different things. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do, and then all of a sudden, I'm working with people's souls, and it's like, okay, this is very overwhelming at first. Sure. Okay. So um, there is there is this part of um, one ministry is a journey as opposed to a textbook, and so you you cannot plan it out, and there's going to be twists and turns all along the way, and it calls for a flexibility and an and an openness, uh, uh, that kind of approach to life. Um, that's not to say you don't make plans. Not to say that 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 that, that you have outcomes and goals in mind. Um, but there, there there still is that understanding that uh, you don't know what God has in store because God is full of surprises. Um, if you don't like surprises, maybe ministry isn't for you uh, because you just don't know. Um, you also have to have a heart for people. Uh, if that's not in you, I mean, there are those that are in ministry and, and are doing administrative duties and do it amazingly well. And they, they do it because God has called them to it. So that, that's different than the ones that are called to a pastoral kind of ministry or compassionate ministry right. um, or justice ministry even, uh, because that involves hearing people's stories. Uh, sharing life, getting close, incarnation. Yeah. Okay, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, talk about Young Street Mission School in the city of Toronto. Sure. So our goal is to eradicate uh, chronic poverty uh, within the, within this generation. So we just made that our current goal about two years ago. So 
depending on what you want to call a generation, 20 or 40 years, uh, it's going to take us that long. What's the, um, what's the state of poverty as you would see it in, in Toronto today? Well, depending on the statute you hear, uh, we have as high as one in three children living uh, under the poverty line. Um, and, and that's unacceptable, uh, especially for one of the richest cities uh, living in one of the the, uh, the wealthiest countries with the most resources. Um, I mean, there should be nobody going hungry anywhere in Canada or anywhere in Toronto. So, and just for those listening in this, maybe in the States, um, I looked at the poverty line. It's been over a year ago now. What, what is that right now? Uh, the poverty line? Yeah. Um, so for a single person in Toronto, uh, the cost of living here in the city is about twenty twenty one thousand. 21000 Each year there's a little shift on that. Uh, for a family of four, um, the poverty line would be around thirty six thirty eight thousand dollars $38,000. Uh, a, a year income. Now you got to understand that with the way our um, minimum wages, and we just had some news that it's probably it's going up. Um, but if you have two full-time people, uh, p- let's say parents working full-time at minimum wage, that gets them to the poverty line. Wow, wow! So there's not much margin right there. No, no. And so a single employable person on, for instance, welfare here in, in the city. Um, they get about $7,500. They get a third of what the poverty line is. Wow. And so who really wants to go on welfare? Right. Um, it's next to impossible to, to, to survive on just welfare alone. And so what are you doing right now? What does Young Street Mission do to um, solve this problem? So one of the things that we're, we're doing a number of things. Um, so we have identified three people groups that we've worked with historically. Um, there are the uh, those at risk, in particular uh, the street-involved youth through our Evergreen Ministry on Young Street. Um, there is those living in chronic poverty or generational poverty. Many of those are dealing with uh, various forms of illness. Um, health issues, it, it could be physical health. Like we have guys who worked in factories, you know, grade eight education, um, work in a factory for, for 25 years, they blow out their back and they can't work anymore. Um, and Or we have people who are dealing with chronic illnesses or mental health uh, issues um, who for various reasons aren't able to hold down full-time jobs. Um, or seniors. Who are, who are living on the edge on just their pensions. Um, so there, there, there's that group of, that segment of society. And then there are the new immigrant families that many of them are professionally trained, uh, entrepreneurs and professionals coming from uh, countries of origin where they're, basically most of those that are coming are, you tell me where there's war, political unrest, famine, natural disaster, and we can introduce you to people from those countries. Some are coming as refugees, but the vast majority of them are coming as landed immigrants. They have met the the qualifications of Canada, but they still have to uh, find their way in in Canada. And so, for instance, many of them, their training uh, is not at the Canadian standards. Like we have this guy, fully trained electrician from Russia. 
Um, he was from Nepal, but trained in Russia. Well, the building codes in Canada are totally different here exactly. than they are in Russia. So he's got to go get retraining, complete. Um, uh, and and so it's a lot of them are starting life right from the from the scratch. Uh, many of them are working in uh, low-paying um, uh, support industries, such as you know they're making the beds in the hospitals, they're washing dishes. Uh, taking on, working on uh, in taxis and restaurants, those kinds of service industry. Uh, tr- because in, if you ask them, they will say, I'm not here for me, I'm here for my children's future. And so we're working to help get them reestablished. So we have those three people groups that, that we're focused on. Our strategy is to hear where they are and then work with them to identify where can change happen and where do they need to have change? Uh, but that also means listening to them as opposed to us telling them. I mean, that's what we call community development. Um, anybody can give advice uh, and, and we can look at somebody's struggles or life and go, here's what you need changed or here's what your community needs to have changed. But if they don't self-identify, it doesn't matter. So we work with them to get them to identify what it is they'd like to see changed. And oftentimes it's something small. Um, like for instance, we're tearing down and rebuilding a whole community, not Young Street Mission, but the city, the, the, re, the, the community region park. They're just over halfway through this mammoth pro- project, you know, 12 years into it. Um, it. A lot of it started with the key, the, the city was was talking about major change, and the community was was saying, "Will you just remove some barricades that you put on some of our roads and open them up for traffic?" So the, the community identified the change that they wanted. They didn't want to have their buildings torn down; they just wanted tr- freedom of, of traffic, uh, flow of traffic, make their community safer. Yeah. Uh, so it's the same thing whether it's an individual or community. Listen, listen, listen. Don't you find it amazing when you talk to people and you hear their stories? Um, I I know when I first moved up here, I realized that the poverty up here is very different than some of the cities that I've been in in the United States, Uh, just because of immigration. That story that you mentioned about um, the man that moved from Russia, fully licensed electrician, yeah, I've seen that story how many times where people will come over here and they're maybe nurses or, or they have a master's degree, but it just doesn't translate over here. And and so I'm just curious, what does that do to you? Like, what are those stories? How, how does that change you personally when you hear these stories? Well, number one, this is why I don't get bored, <laughs> because the stories are so fascinating. Does it ever drain um, you? Like, does it ever drain you or does that just, does it, what, what does that yeah, do to you? Another, that's another whole question, another whole tangent. Maybe we'll get to, um, which is significant because this work can burn you out very quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, and and so, the 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 stories that people come, uh, that they would be willing to share. The sacredness of of, of who they are, um, because if, if we do believe that all life is sacred, then their stories become sacred. Their journey is a sacred journey, um, and and so. Uh, taking time to hear that story, uh, helping them to identify uh, 
where God is in that story um, uh, and, and what is the next chapter in that story. Um, I mean, we're dealing with, this is a holy work. Um, this is sacred ground, like take off your shoes uh, because this life that's there before you is so precious and sacred. Um, and they and they inspire you. Uh, because, like, I'm going to tell some story that, that's one of the, the worst stories. It's not the typical story. But this one family, they were leaving their country in Africa. Um, the husband had a high position in in uh, the government. He was uh, the, the assistant to the education minister. Uh, overthrow the government. And he had the chance to get his family out. They rushed to this little airstrip where the plane was waiting. The rebels saw them leaving, started to chase them. And as they were getting into the plane, uh, and as the plane was taking off, the rebels were chasing the plane down the runway, shooting at them. And that's the last memory they have of their home. Um, that tells you you're not welcome any longer. No here. kidding. And, and they didn't even know where they're going. They just got on the plane uh, to get out. Uh, left everything behind, the clothes on their back, and, and, and a couple little bags um, with some, some precious items that, that they had to carry. Um, and, and so they are literally starting from scratch. Uh, and so you come alongside and figure out um, how do you rebuild this life? Now, they're also dealing, on top of trying to get their life together, they're dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder, the vast majority of them. Many of them the vast majority undiagnosed and uh, because they just went through huge trauma to get here. Wow. So that's part of what we're dealing with. And that sure does something to the way that you complain, doesn't it? Like the next time your car doesn't start, um, <laughs> <laughs> that puts perspective, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it's not because there's a couple of bullets in the, in the engine block. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, oh, Man, I, I could go on about that, that the ways that God has changed really my life. Um, I mean, because you don't know what you don't know sometimes. And yeah, just mm -hmm. since moving up here, I, I know God has really done a work in my life that, that way. Um, and let me just ask this question, because I'm, I'm guessing a person or two listening to this, probably more than a person or two, is asking this question. Okay, it's great to get rid of poverty. But we're Christians, right? We're Christians, and the gospel is what's really important. And I don't know if people would phrase the question like this, but sometimes this hovers in the back of our minds. Okay, poverty, yeah, but that's a secondary, that's a third issue that we'll get to later on down the road with people. Let's present them the gospel, kind of the Romans road, and then once they've accepted Christ, then we'll think about helping them. What do you say to a person thinking that? I would say, look, let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to the Gospels and see what it was that Jesus was teaching. You know, over a hundred times in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And what does he say about the kingdom of God? Um, and, 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 and what is his understanding of good news? Good news for him was not the Roman road. The good news of, of, for, for Jesus was to proclaim the kingdom of God, um, which is all about what is God's will. And, and God's will 
is that all his creation would know that God loves them and 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 that that all creation is called to to uh, to glorify the Creator and to serve the rest of creation and that's the kingdom of God sort of in a nutshell um, uh, and and so that all of a sudden doesn't put one priority over the other not that I'm I'm an evangelical. I, I hold to that, that understanding uh, of the teaching um, of Jesus when he calls us to be born again, uh, but not to the sacrifice of all the rest of his teachings. And so when Jesus says, um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's giving his call to ministry at that point when he quotes from Isaiah 61. And it isn't just to preach good news to the poor, although I challenge people to, to, to ponder what is good news to the poor, because good news to the poor may look very different from good news to a middle class person who has uh, all their needs met. That's a great point. So, uh, but, it, but it's also calling to, to care for the captive. It's call, it calls for, for, for care of the giving sight to the blind. And, and, it, and Jesus isn't just talking about... Um, a spiritual blindness or a spiritual lameness. Uh, he's out there healing. He's out there with the sick. He's out there listening to their stories and sharing life with them. You know, it's, it's a great point. I, I think sometimes one of the ways that I struggle is that uh, people are messy sometimes. Uh, I'm messy. And, you know, I think I'm just thinking of uh, several couples that have come into our church recently move from a totally different culture. I don't understand that culture as, as I know that I want to. I don't understand the background. Um, and then you throw in all these hosts of different challenges, whether it's health challenges, immigration challenges, uh, poverty challenges, and you're like, I don't even know where to start. Um, I'm guessing you face that a time or two. What do you, what do, you do in situations like that? So again, this goes back to this new transformation model that, that we're working with um, and, and listening to them and saying, so so yeah, here's what you're facing in life. What, what would you like to have changed first? Um, well, let, let's take on something easier. Um, so we set up and we set up some programs that, that also allow people to uh, to explore who they are. Um, so one of those one of those programs is about uh, self awareness, and so I don't teach it. Some of our other staff do, uh, but they asked me to come and and, and do a, a three or four sessions on personality types. And I, I do a couple of different ones, including Myers Briggs, with them. Right. Um. And and some of these people are illiterate, semi illiterate, um, and they're blown away by it, and 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 just because their reading levels or their learning abilities are a little bit lower than than the general populace. It doesn't mean they don't understand this stuff. They get it right away and they go, that's me. And for the first time, they've been able to, to start to identify um, who they are uh, and, and begin to accept, <coughs> excuse me, been, begin to accept um, themselves for who they are. Go, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm not so bad. There's, there's some good stuff in here. That's, it's neither good nor bad. That's just who I am. That, that's just one of those areas that we're working with people to address. Um, 
in their life. So you start with, with that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, we've got measurable outcomes uh, and goals. And so they can move along a progression, you know, of, of five key indicators of change in their life. Um, you know, they might take a couple steps back and then move forward again, or they want to start to address another part of their life. Um, eventually, you might get on to, to things like uh, employment um, or going back to school, Depend again, depending on who the person is. Some people are all ready for employment, and so we have uh, job counselors that work with them and help. Uh, we're out there making contact with employers um, and matching people up with with with, uh, with an employer. Uh, job training. We have um, computer lab, literacy lab uh, to for both children and adults. Uh, because again, that's part of keeping up with today's uh, society and, and the expectations and abilities to to, to use technology. Um, we have some some student awards. We don't call it scholarships, but very similar to a scholarship, um, helping uh, youth in their education. Um, so, so there's all these different steps, uh, including the, the spiritual side. So we we have a church. Um, and our church is church's discipleship program is a much broader understanding of discipleship than uh, a, a typical church might have in this in, in, in the suburbs or out in Scarborough or wherever. Um, and uh, just because the needs of our people are different, there's, it's, they're still dealing with spiritual issues, but it's expanding the understanding of what spiritual issues are. Share a story or two. Uh, I love stories, and I'm guessing others in our audience do as well. What's a person or two where they've walked in, you've helped them through um, the situations that they're going through, and may maybe they've come to faith in Christ as, as a result of it? Um, sure. There, there are a number of different stories. There, there, I might share two very similar stories. Um, uh, both of them were new immigrants to the country. Uh they both came when they were about 10 years old, um, and uh, one came from a Christian family, um, uh, although their country of origin was not um, not dominant Christian. Uh, they came here, they, they got involved um, with our computer lab and our after-school programs, homework clubs and stuff, and, um, and then... He, he got he got a little bit waylaid in his tracks um, he uh, for about a year or two during high school and and just realized in grade 12 you know this direction isn't good and came back to the mission because he knew that this is where he'd been received most warmly and, and most encouragement started to volunteer set up a basketball program uh, for younger youth um, uh, then, then got one of our scholarships, went off, uh, got his, his BA from uh, from University of Toronto, um, and then got a job with the bank, uh, and still volunteers uh, in that throughout almost that whole process, uh, and now is a homeowner, um, and actually not which in Toronto is is a very difficult thing to do. Oh yeah, yeah. Now the funny part was, so his family. He grew up in Regent Park, lived in Regent Park all his life. He buys a nice home, maybe about three kilometers from your church, not not too far. 
Um, and uh, fully expecting, because of his culture, that his family would move in with him in the house. His family at the last minute decided no. Oh, no. <laughs> because Regent Park is home for yeah. them. And this is where the, their family is. That's where friends are, all their circles of support. Uh, youngest sister still in, in school here, and uh, so they didn't want to pull her out of school. So really interesting. Um, so now he he was going to a an ethnic church um, and realized he's not as comfortable in the ethnic his own self-identified ethnic church. So he's come back to the Church of the Mission and taking on some leadership there. Yeah. Um, I know you're going to say something. So you go ahead. No, that's, that's, that, that's a fascinating story. Yeah, that, that's and 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 so like it was kind of so the love that you shown him it. It's interesting. It's kind of a journey process, isn't it? It didn't happen just in, in a moment, but it was as you walked with him over, I don't, I don't know how long a period of time that was, but extended period of time, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So he's 27 now, I think. Uh, so that's 17 years, uh, of which uh, I would say easily 15. He's had some involvement, major involvement at Young Street Mission. Now, unfortunately, the end of our show got cut off a little bit because we had a bad internet connection, so sometimes that happens, unfortunately. But I think you get the gist of what he was saying, and in particular, about how Christians can really work together to eliminate poverty in our city. So I hope it was really helpful to you, and that through different stories that he shared, that it's challenging. I I know it is for me, and uh, I'm just thinking about different ways that Janan and I in East Scarborough, Ontario, as we talked about in the interview, um, so much of that stuff is relevant exactly to where we're at today. And so I'm, I know I'm going to be looking for different ways uh, to put this into practice, and I hope you will as well. And hey, just a reminder, if you haven't already, go ahead and check out our new website, themondaychristian.com. We've totally revamped it, and I think it's, it's got a lot of great content on there with different bloggers and uh, different podcast episodes that you can check out. So uh, go ahead and check that out, themondaychristian.com. Until next time, my name's Ezra Beyer. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 